This morning we're going to take a look at Philippians chapter 1. I'm taking the title for the message from verse 6. And we'll just mainly deal with verse 6. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. Being confident. Absolutely sure. Confident of this very thing. That he, and we know this is God, who has begun a good work in you. A good work in you will get it done. We'll perform it until the day the Lord comes back to receive us unto himself, and there shall we ever be with the Lord. So the title of this message I'm going to give is this, What Begins in Grace Will End in Glory. What Begins in Grace Will End in Glory. The Lord Jesus will give, the Lord Jesus Christ will give his people all grace now, more grace, exceeding and abundant grace, which is eternal salvation, and then eternal glory forever. Remember John chapter 1, of his fullness have we all received grace for grace. Salvation, as it's revealed in the word of God, is all of grace. Grace alone. And I mean by that sovereign grace. He will have mercy on whom he will. I mean by that eternal grace. I mean by that fetching grace. Calling grace. Salvation is all of the grace of the Lord Jesus. Peter confessed at that conference there in Jerusalem. We believe that we shall be saved even as they by the grace of God. There is a remnant according to the election of grace. God saves sinners by his will, purpose, grace, and mercy through the Lord Jesus Christ. God who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, given us in Christ, given us in Christ, saved us and called us, given us in Christ before the foundation of of the world. God purposed salvation before we were ever born. God purposed salvation before Adam ever sinned. Before Adam sinned, the Savior stood as a surety, a Savior of his people. Now this church which was established in Philippi had a very small beginning. A few converts. Lydia, who was a businesswoman, seller of purple. God opened her heart, saved her by his grace, and then later on we see the jailer as Paul and Silas were singing about the praises of God being beaten and imprisoned and yet they were rejoicing in the Lord. And God sent an earthquake and God sent the gospel to the heart of that jailer and saved him by his grace. Paul was sent there by a special calling, a special vision from the Lord to go there in Macedonia, come over and help us. What kind of help did they need? Paul was a tent maker, but they didn't need tents. Paul was a preacher of the gospel, and that's what they needed to hear. And God used that message that Paul preached and called a number of people. The Lord was pleased to call out his elect in that city with the gospel. Now, that's his pattern and method. It has not changed. That's why Paul went everywhere preaching the message, and that's why we Take the message of the gospel of whatever means God gives us. Radio, internet, printed, 
the uh, tracks, the bulletins that go out. Uh, we use what God puts in our hands to preach the gospel. It pleased God through the preaching of the word to call out his people. Faith comes by hearing the word of the Lord. Faith doesn't come by hearing the lies of men, but rather the truth of God. So the church at Philippi had a very small beginning. This ministry here in Zebulun also had a very small beginning. This ministry we have right here had a very small beginning. One man with one dream. His name was Paul Thacker. In 1985, he bought this piece of ground, took the dirt off the hillside over there, brought it over here, built this building, and established this ministry here in Pike County. He bought this property and built this building and contacted my pastor, Henry Mahan, to come here and preach the gospel, the first gospel message in May of 1986. Little did I know when I drove Henry and Doris up here that Sunday afternoon, little did I know that one day I'd be the pastor of this church. I had no idea. But the Lord did. And the Lord called me here in 1994. <clears throat> now we've been here. This ministry has been established for 35 years. The Lord has been pleased to keep this ministry here. But one day... One day, just like the church in Philippi, one day it'll be gone. I pray the Lord will keep it here while, while we are here, but I don't know what the future holds. When, when we're all gone and I'm gone, I don't know what the Lord has in store for us. I know right now there's no gospel church in Philippi today. Many places where the gospel was once preached by the Apostle Paul there's no gospel ministry in Ephesus, in Thessalonica. I remember reading a story after Charles Spurgeon died, the great preacher of England, <clears throat> when his ministry was gone and the man that followed him was his own son, Thomas Spurgeon, who later denied the gospel that his own daddy preached. So it's sad, but that's just the way it happens. The seven churches that are mentioned in the book of Revelation... Where are they today? None of them were preaching the gospel. You read about those seven churches. They're no longer here today. Those countries are overrun by followers of Muhammad. There's no Christian churches or no gospel preachers in that area that I'm aware of. There may be some. The Lord does know. But we're confident of this, as Paul says in verse 6. We're confident of this very thing. That God, who has begun a good work in you, he will perform it and he will perfect it. Where are all those believers in that church there in Philippi who loved, heard, and believed the gospel? Where are they at now? <laughs> They're with the Lord in glory, worshiping the Lord. God is going to populate glory with a people that are predestinated to be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn over to Philippians chapter 3. He says this over here, for our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. 
He has predestinated the people to be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, and God's going to populate the people. God's going to populate heaven with a people just like the blessed Savior. Remember what happened to Paul and Silas at Philippi when they preached the gospel there. They were falsely accused, tied to a post, beaten, and thrown in prison. Doesn't sound like the Lord is blessing Paul's ministry. Here he preaches the gospel, the great apostle Paul, and he's arrested, beaten, beaten beyond measure, beaten by Roman law, not Jewish law. By Roman law, you'd beat a man until he died. Beaten and prisoned. Doesn't look like the Lord's blessing his message. Yes, he is. He's blessing his ministry. He says, notice what he says there in chapter 1, Philippians chapter 1, look at verse 12. But I would, you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather to the furtherance of the gospel, not a hindrance. Not a hindrance happened to the furtherance of the gospel. Paul, once again, is in prison in Rome for the gospel, but he never calls himself the prisoner of Rome. He always calls himself the prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, we studied from Acts chapter 28 when we closed our study in the book of Acts when Paul is addressing those Jews there in Rome. He said, for the hope of the gospel, I'm in this chain. For the hope of the gospel? What is the hope of the gospel? Christ in you, that is the hope of the gospel. Paul prays for these people. Look at verse 4, verse 3 and 4 and 5. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for, your, for, for you all, making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. What a blessed fellowship the Lord's people have one with another. Fellows in the same shape. Fellows in the same ship. Sinners saved by grace and grace, grace alone. He prays for them. He not only preaches for them, and he prays for them. Look at verse 9, Philippians 1, verse 9. And this I pray that your love may abound, yet more and more in knowledge and in all discernment. He prays that they might grow in grace. Not that they might have more money or health and wealth. He prays for their spiritual growth, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere without offense to the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ. All this to the praise and glory of God. That's why we pray. We pray for God's people that they might grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Turn back just a few pages. Let me show you another example of that. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, he says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you may be rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the depth, the height, to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory by the church Jesus Christ 
unto him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. So when we pray, we pray for things, spiritual blessings in the Lord Jesus, that we might grow in grace and in the knowledge of Christ. That brings us to verse 6. Here's where we want to camp for a few moments this morning. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Being confident, confident of this very thing, that God who has begun this work of grace in you, this good work in you, will perfect it, perform it, finish it, until the day the blessed Savior returns. Paul's confidence and persuasion of their salvation didn't rest upon a sinner's will, doing their part or performing their part, but rather his confidence rested upon the sovereign will of God, the doing and dying and performance of the Lord Jesus Christ for us in our room, in our stead, as our surety, Savior, and substitute. Psalm 57 says this, I will cry unto God most high, unto God that performeth all things for me. Now, I love that. He does what? He performed all things for me. Salvations of the Lord. He shall send from heaven and save me. And that's exactly what he did. Turn back to Galatians, the book of Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. This is another one of those letters that Paul wrote while in prison. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, When the fullness of the time was come, the time, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Now watch it. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father, 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 wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son, and if a son, an heir of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. God has performed all things for us in salvation. Christ is our kinsman redeemer. You remember our study from the book of Ruth, how Boaz was the near kin to Naomi. And that is a picture of Christ, our kinsman redeemer. The kinsman redeemer who has the right to redeem, and that was true of Boaz, redeeming Naomi and Ruth. He had the right to redeem, the will to redeem, and the power to redeem. And that is true of our Boaz. Our God and Savior is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is near kin to us. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. He has the right to redeem. He's the sovereign Lord. He'll have mercy on whom he will. He has the right to redeem, the will to redeem, and the power to redeem. Aren't you glad he's our redeemer? He's a strong savior who has all power to save. We are confident and fully convinced that we should have no confidence anywhere but in Christ. You remember, turn to chapter 3, Philippians 3, verse 3. For we are the true circumcision, the true Israel, which worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and we have no confidence in the flesh. 
None whatsoever. Matter of fact, we count all things dung that we might win Christ and be found in him. We are confident and fully convinced that Christ is everything in salvation. We are persuaded beyond all measure that salvation is of the Lord, all of his grace. Our confidence flows out from the confidence in our great God and Savior who cannot fail, whose purpose will be done, who cannot be frustrated. That's our confidence. It's not in us. I don't want you to have any confidence in me. I want you to look to Christ. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner just like you. Weak and frail, wicked. A sinner saved by grace. Don't have confidence in me. Don't have faith in me. In Christ, I point you to him. Look unto him and be saved. Look unto him. He's the able Savior. He's able to save to the uttermost all that come to God by him. He's able to save them, those covenant people. Now, let's look at verse 4. Four things I want to see here in verse 4. I want you to see these with me. The first thing is this. Whose work it is to accomplish salvation being confident of this very thing, that he who hath begun the good work. Now, whose work is it? Whose work is it? It's God's work. Clearly, here in this scripture, and all through the word of God, salvation is described as a work of God, not according to our works, but according to his mercy. He saved us. By our deeds... And by the deeds of the flesh, by the deeds of the law, shall no flesh be justified. Salvation begins with God and ends with God. He's the Alpha. He's the Omega. He's the first. He's the last. Everything in between. He's everything in salvation. We're confident of this very thing, that God, who hath begun the work, he'll get the job done. So we say... As we often have said over the years, salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is because God is. Salvation is of the Lord because it originates with him. And salvation is of the Lord's doing. We had that outline on the radio this morning. And that was a rerun, but it was a message worth hearing again and again and again. Salvation is of the Lord in its origination God planned and purposed it from all eternity. He's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Salvation's of the Lord in his execution. We studied that last week. Isaiah 53.10, it pleased the Lord to bruise him in our room and in our stead. Salvation's of the Lord in his application. When will a sinner be saved? When it pleases God to reveal him to our heart. Salvation's of the Lord in its sustaining power. We're kept by the power of God. And salvation is of the Lord in its ultimate perfection. We are predestinated to be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, for a man to say that he does not believe in predestination, he's saying that he does not believe in the word of God. Because the truth of God, God says that he predestinated the people to be conformed to the image of, image of Christ. Not once, not twice, not three, four times. Twice in Ephesians and then in the book of Romans. You have Ephesians chapter 1 there right, right close to you. Turn back a few pages. Ephesians 1 verse 3. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Look at verse 11, Ephesians 1, verse 11, in whom also we have attained an inheritance, we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted Christ. So, you can't call yourself a believer and believe not the biblical view of what predestination teaches. Now, the very nature of the work of salvation, we must conclude that if any sinner is saved, it has to be by the doing and the accomplishments of God alone because it must be perfect to be accepted. The atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ is a perfect atonement. How do we know that? God said their sin and their iniquity will I remember no more. Salvation is of the Lord in its origination, execution, application, sustaining power, and ultimate perfection. David put it this way. This is the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. The Father in choosing us, the Son in redeeming us, the Holy Spirit in regenerating us and making us new creatures in Christ. It's all of God. What part do I have in it? In the accomplishment of it, none. None. What we have, we have by the gift of his grace. If we have faith, what is faith? Faith is a gift of God. If we have repentance, you say a sinner must repent, a sinner must believe. That's exactly true. Where does faith repentance come from? the gift of God. You'd never believe the gospel without his grace. You'd never repent and repenting and repenting. It's a constant believing and repenting apart from the grace of God. So the first point, you've got it. Confident of this, God begins the work. It's his work. Salvation is of the Lord. Secondly, what kind of work is salvation? Well, it says here it's a good, it's good, but it's a good work. Whose work? It's a good work. Whose work is it? What's well, his work? That's the only reason it's good. A good work. Complete salvation, a perfect one. Now, the scriptures teach us that there's none good but one. Right? That's God. So, to be a good work, it must be the work of God. There's none good but God. The Lord is good. We studied Psalm 136 Wednesday evening. You remember the text, 136, verse 1? Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for the Lord is good. Everything he does is good. Everything he does is right. All the Lord Jesus accomplished for us is good, pleasant, satisfying, and acceptable to God. The atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to shock you here. The atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ is not offered to men. It's God's sacrifice for sin. 
The atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ satisfied God. That's the important thing. That's the only thing. The Lord Jesus Christ satisfied God for us and we're only accepted in the beloved. It has to be perfect to be accepted. The Lord Jesus Christ came to do the redemptive will of God, accomplishing the work of salvation. He accomplished the work. Now remember when he was very young, his parents, Joseph and Mary, Joseph being his stepfather, foster father, God is his father. But when they went to observe the Jewish law, when the Lord was in the flesh, just 12 years old, and they completed their business in Jerusalem and headed back to Galilee, well, two or three days later, they figured, they found out, well, where is Jesus? And he was nowhere to be found. They went back to town and found him sitting with the doctors and lawyers and confounding them. And the Lord said, "Uh, don't you know I must be about my father's business? He came to do the redemptive will of God, and it was the redemptive work that the father had given to him to accomplish. Now, I've showed you this before, but let's let's review again. Turn back to John chapter 4. I'm saying that the work he did was a good work, and it was a good work accomplished on our salvation because he's nothing but good. It's the work that he did for us. John chapter 4, verse 34. My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. See, it's a work that he did for us. That makes salvation by grace unto us. Now, another reference, turn to John 5, 36. But I have greater witness than that of John for the works which the Father had given me to finish, the same works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. Got the idea? Turn to John 17. I remember a dear friend of mine one time walked up to me and said, he said, I've come to the conclusion that salvation is by works. I said, whoa, wait a minute. Wait a minute. He said, yeah, salvation's all of work his, not mine. And that's true. Look at John 17, the Lord's Prayer here in John 17. Verse 4 said, I've glorified thee on the earth. I finished the work you gave me to do. Salvation is a work that he accomplished for us. It's his doing. So turn to John 19, verse 30. He came to do the redemptive will of God, the work of God, working out salvation for us. You remember the last, one of the last things the Lord said upon the tree, John 19, verse 30, you see it there? When Jesus, therefore, has received the vinegar, he said, it's finished. Bowed his head and gave up the ghost. What's finished? The redemptive work the Father gave him as the surety of the covenant. Satisfied the law, satisfied justice, redeemed his people, and did all that to the glory of God, to the will of God, to the praise of the glory of his grace, his grace alone. Christ did a work, a good work for us as a surety and mediator. He put away all our sin by the sacrifice of himself, redeemed us from the curse of the law. He was raised from the dead to justify us. He brought in and established eternal justifying righteousness for us. Freely gives that unto us. I like that word freely. 
He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things, justified freely by his grace in the Lord Jesus Christ? I've jotted this down, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12. Now, we've received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Salvation is a free gift of God. It cost him everything that it might be free to us, that it might be by the grace of God alone. Now, here's the third thing. God, who begins the work of salvation, he's done this work for us. He will complete it. He will finish it. This good work of salvation is not only for us, but look what it says there. Being confident of this very thing, that God, who hath begun a good work in you. You see that? In you, he will perform it. He will perfect it in you. Christ in you is the hope of glory. Turn one page, Philippians 2, verse 13. Philippians 2, verse 13. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God has done a work for us, We saw that last week, wounded for our transgression, bruised for our iniquity. He has done a work for us, but there is that work of grace, regenerating grace that he does in the sinner's heart, making us new creatures in Christ Jesus. God must do in us what we cannot do for ourselves. We cannot give ourselves life. We're dead in sin. Only God can quicken and give us spiritual life. It is a spirit that quickens the flesh, profiteth nothing. That's why our Lord said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. If you're not born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. If you're not born again, you can't enter into the kingdom of God. And it's this work that God does in us. He must reveal himself to us. And that's what he does when he saves us. He shows us who he is. He's hid these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them unto babes. When it pleases God, he reveals his son in us. So he must reveal himself unto us, and this is what he does in us. He must give us saving faith to believe the faith of God's elect. We believe only according to the working of his mighty power. He must give us a broken heart over the guilt and ruin of our sin against God. He's nigh them of a broken heart. Save us such as be of a contrite spirit. He must make us new creatures in Christ. That's the work of God that he's done for us and in us. Christ in you. It is only by his power that we are partakers of a divine nature. I have that old flesh. That flesh which is born to flesh is flesh. But thank God, by regenerating mercy, regenerating grace, we are new creatures in Christ Jesus, partakers of a divine nature. Now, here's the last thing is this. Mark it down. Write it in stone. All that God has started and has begun, he will accomplish and finish to his own satisfaction. He will He begun this work, good work in you, will perform it, perfect it, finish it, complete it. When the Lord comes back, 
will be one with him. He will finish it and complete it. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and in Christ we stand complete. Whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it. God does it that men should fear him. Now, there are some people in religious circles who believe that God saves sinners, or they say a sinner can be saved, and then by circumstances or different things that he can lose his salvation. My friend, that's not what this book teaches. Those whom God saves by his grace, he gives them eternal life. And he said they will never perish. He gives us eternal life. None for whom Christ died can be lost. We are kept by his power. We're sealed with God the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. Our Lord said in John 10, my sheep, they hear me. I know them, they follow me, and I give unto them, I give unto them uh, temporary life as long as they hold out. That's not what he said. He said, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither can any pluck them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. We are eternally secured in the Lord Jesus Christ. He will perfect it, perform it, finish it until we're taken to glory. Christ will present us to the Father, perfect, complete, in the day when the Lord comes back. He's able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding, exceeding joy. Look at verse 6 again. Being confident of this very thing, that God who hath begun a good work in you will Perform it, perfect it, finish it until the day the Lord comes back to take us home to glory. I'm confident. How about you? I thought about this. What if God has started? What if the work God has started, what if it's not completed? What if it's not finished? What if God's work that he has started what if it's not completed? What if it's not finished? What does it say of his promise that he gives them eternal life? What does it say of his power? He said he has all power to save. If God's not able to finish what he has started, what does it say of his love? He said he's loved us with an everlasting love. Can we fall out of love? No. What does it say of his purpose? If his promise is not completed, what does it say of his atonement? What does it say of his intercession? Thank God that which begins in grace will end in glory. All grace now and forever. What he says is so. I'm confident. I pray that God will make you confident as well. And you can say with the Apostle Paul, thanks be unto God. For the unspeakable gift of God, thanks be unto God who has given us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Is that a good verse?